morning. Welcome to Lighthouse Bible Church this morning. We'll have our special Christmas service this morning. Um, let's begin by praying. Heavenly Father, we know from your word that about 2,000 years ago, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, and he was born of a virgin. And we thank you, Father, because we know why he's human as well as God. It's for us. It's for our sins that needed to be forgiven. It's for our ability now to understand the word of God. It's for the future and the resurrection body that we will have one day. And the fact that we have a human being at your right hand advocating for us. Well, Father, this morning, as we once again reflect on the birth of Jesus Christ, we would ask that, Father, we would redouble our focus on what really matters in life and, and understanding the purpose of our lives now that we're believers in Jesus Christ and that we would understand that we are to grow and that we are to pre 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 preach the gospel of Jesus Christ ourselves. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning again, everybody. Just one thing to keep in mind. You guys will be able to spend Christmas Day at, with your loved ones because we will not be having service next Sunday. We will resume on Thursday. We will be having Bible study this Thursday, however, as well here um, live and also on Skype. All right, let's begin. The title of today's message is The Birth of Jesus, The History and the Mystery. On behalf of the congregation and the leadership of Lighthouse Bible Church, Merry Christmas to each of you and your loved ones as well. You know, you can't have a Christmas service, really, without reading from the Gospel of Luke. And there's no better passage to read at a Christmas service than Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 20. And we will be there in a little while. This passage, by the way, is where fellow by the name of Linus got his text, his material, to explain to Charlie Brown what Christmas is all about. As a matter of fact, why don't we let Linus fill us in? You've been dumb before, Charlie Brown, but this time you really did it. <laughs> what a treat! I guess you were right, Linus. I shouldn't have picked this little tree. Everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? True, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Angel. 
That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. The birth of Jesus Christ is a matter of history, and it's also a mystery. This year, we're going to look at these two aspects of the birth of Christ, and we will spend most of our time in the Gospel of Luke. The birth of Jesus Christ, it is a matter of history. It happened, and it's documented. It's an event in history. But even more important than that, it's an event full of mystery. Things that had never been seen before or since. It's grounded in fact, but it's full of wonder. Luke, the writer of the Gospel of Luke, did a marvelous job under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, blending both of these aspects together. After all, he was a historian, and we're going to see in the Gospel of Luke at the very beginning the nature of his work as a historian. And he was that. But also at the same time, he was a marvelous storyteller. And, you know, when I use story in that way, I don't mean fiction. I mean a narrative of something that happened put together in a, in a very clear and accurate but also interesting way. And Luke had a knack for that. And he was very focused on the details from, uh, from our perspective of things that happened in the life of Jesus. Well, this morning we begin with a history lesson. See, if the birth of Jesus wasn't an actual event in human history, it really has little more to recommend itself than a Greek myth or one of Aesop's fables. Great story, great moral, but nothing more. But you see, the birth of Jesus Christ did actually happen. The Lord God broke into human history and nothing's been the same since. We have the records of the fact that it is history, and we have them in the Gospels, the Gospels of Luke, the Gospels of Matthew. Luke was a very careful historian, and he makes that clear at the very outset of his Gospel. Please start at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verse 1. There is... A person named Theophilus, to whom Luke writes this gospel, and not just the gospel, by the way, but also the book of Acts. We don't know any more about him. His name actually means lover of God. And so it could very well be that the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to write it to all the lovers of God and not simply an individual. In any event, let's begin in chapter one, verse one. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting to me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things that you have been taught. Luke was not among the disciples, as far as we know, that walked with Jesus. We first hear of Luke in the the book of Acts. We have a reference to him 
in the letters. But in all in both of those situations, it's after Jesus Christ is resurrected and ascended into heaven. And yet he's telling the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ when he was on earth, his ministry. So in order to do that, he had to, as it said, as he says here, compile an account of these things, these miraculous things, amazing things about Jesus Christ. They were handed down by those who from the beginning, from the beginning of his public ministry in particular, but even his birth. All right. So you have to put in there probably the mother of the mother of the Lord Mary, because she was the one who was there. And and Luke has details that could only have been known by someone who was actually there in Bethlehem when Jesus was born. Eyewitnesses and servants of the word. It seemed fitting to me, Luke, as well. And notice the notice how careful historian he is, having investigated everything. In other words, he went into the records, the, the accounts that he'd been given, and he put it all together carefully from the very beginning. He started at the very beginning. As a matter of fact, there's no writer who starts at the very beginning as Luke did in terms of explaining what happened before and at the birth of Jesus Christ. There's no other. Matthew refers to it briefly, but it's Luke. We have to go to Luke to see all the marvelous things that happened surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ. Before that, even when when Elizabeth, who, who was beyond the age of childbirth, giving birth to a son who we know is John the Baptist and how an angel had appeared to her husband, Zacharias, and how an angel appeared to Mary herself and proclaimed all the things that would happen. And, and, and then they happened. And then we have the birth of Jesus Christ. We know why they were in Bethlehem because of a census that was taken. We know that there was no room at the inn and they had to go into a stable. We know that that once he was born, the angels appeared out in the fields where the shepherds were keeping their flocks. And they had a most amazing message to give. So angels are everywhere about this story. And then they go and they see the Christ, the baby Christ. So all of that comes from Luke. And he knows that because he investigated it carefully from the very beginning. And he wrote it out. He was very careful. That's what I mean by historian. And this isn't true of, of, of the other Gospels, by the way, necessarily. But he wrote everything out in consecutive order. What that tells us is that for the events that are in, that are in view in the Gospel of Luke, we go to him to understand the order of them. Okay? Matthew and Mark also, of course, provide other things. But in terms of the, the order of events, it's Luke who really worked hard under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to do that. Why? So that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. So so, so what we have in the Gospel of Luke is the exact truth. And, it's, and it was put together by a careful historian under the inspiration of God, the Holy Spirit. Let's continue, though. I want, to, I want you to see an example right away of what, what we mean by the fact this was history in the making and Luke documented it. Look at verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, now, let's stop there for a moment. What is he doing? He is he is giving a fact of history that could be verified. Was Herod king of Judea? Yes, he was. When was he king of Judea? And now all of a sudden, this this is taken right into the realm of human history. There was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. Notice details, verifiable. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. 
The birth of Jesus Christ is a matter of history, as well as a matter of mystery. And the Gospels of Luke and Matthew, they secure the historic facts of the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, they do that in three ways, not just one way. Certainly, we have the narrative, right? Luke in chapter 2 and before that talks about the story in, in order. But in addition to that, we actually have the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The, the baby that was born, we know his parents, his grandparents, his great-grandparents, and on and on and on and on. In the case of Luke, all the way back to Adam. In the case of, of Matthew, all the way back to Abraham. Now, I dare say there's nobody alive today that has that kind of record of their ancestors. I want you to think about that. We'll see that in a minute. But the second thing is what we've already seen, which is the birth narrative. It, along with the events of Jesus' birth, uh, Luke in particular, but also Matthew, inserts historic references. And then finally, thirdly, the fulfillment of prophecy. We also know that the prophets, or we know when they were around, and we know what they said. And, and the very fact that that was a matter of history, what they spoke to the people of Israel, already documented in the books, shall we say, um, it's the, 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 the Isaiah in particular is referred to in the book of First Kings, which is a history book. So we know he existed. We know when he existed. And it was about 700 years before Jesus. So we have those three things. We have the genealogy of this baby. We have the birth narrative itself. And it, we have the fulfillment of prophecy that had been given hundreds of years before. So the first thing we're going to look at this morning is that the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now, this was meticulously researched, very detailed and complete in other words, there's no generation missing, just listed one after the other. Luke's uh, genealogy of Christ appears in Luke chapter 3. Hold on a second. We're not going to go there, all right, because it's too much, all right? Luke chapter 3, verses 23 to 38. Now, what he does is he works backwards. He starts with Jesus, and he works all the way back, all the way back, all the way back to Adam, all right? By the way, this isn't a time this morning for debate in terms of, well, uh, does it really mean the earth is? Uh, we don't we don't worry about that. OK, because we don't know necessarily how long these people lived. We don't know necessarily um, any. We don't know everything about what happened before, like thousands of years before um, actually there was any record. But in any event, he goes all the way back to Adam. He includes 64 names. Now, again, if you're on. Uh, some of these uh, sites that give you the genealogy and the history of your family. Um, like what? Ancestry? Is that one of them they use anymore? What's the other one? There's a couple. Well, I dare say there's nobody can go back 64 generations. Right? It's just not possible. That's a lot. And not only that, but he includes these names in exact order. Amazing. Now, Matthew also had a genealogy, and his, he was every bit as meticulous as Luke, and there's a reason why he was able to do what he did, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Well, he goes back a long time. He goes back to Abraham. Let's, go, let's now go to Matthew. Okay, go to Matthew. We'll just see a little bit about what Matthew has to say in terms of the history behind the birth of Jesus Christ. Please go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, very beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. He explains the records that he had concerning the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. 
the record, this is how he starts his gospel now. He starts it with historic information. The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. He's called a Messiah in the gospel of Matthew because Matthew's job was to demonstrate how Jesus was the promised Messiah. Has a lot of references to the Old Testament prophets, by the way, in that regard. The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, historic figure, the son of Abraham. Now, what Matthew does is he he begins with Abraham and works forward. See, 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 Luke starts with Jesus, works backwards. Okay, Matthew starts with Abraham and goes forwards. So we could we could say backwards and forwards. We know the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now, because Abraham, of course, lived after Adam, um, he goes back. Matthew goes back forty-two generations. But he's very specific. It's very interesting um, that he talks about, we'll see this in a second. He talks about the groupings of the uh, genealogy of Christ. And you can see here the three, the three groupings, as it were. He says, Jesus is the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, there's one more that we'll see in a minute. But he's basically saying the reason I'm giving you this genealogy is so you can see that Jesus Christ is of the line of David. And that and that we know his lineage all the way back to Abraham, who lived 2000 years before Christ was born. So Matthew lists the four beers of Jesus in every generation, 42 names in all. Look, we're now in Matthew. Just go forward to chapter chapter one, verse 17, Matthew 1, 17. Now, in between, there's all the names. OK, so you can go back, by the way. One of the things about Matthew is we know what he did was to go back into records that the Jewish people had kept. They also were very meticulous, you know, in places like First Chronicles. They did they did their own genealogy. So what Matthew was able to do was go to those records and then see the lineage. In any event, look at Matthew chapter one, verse 17. So all the generations notice from Abraham to David. This is very elegant, by the way, how, how the Lord established the history. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, 14 generations from Abraham to David, from David to the deportation to Babylon. How many generations? 14 generations. Can you see a pattern emerging? And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. It's amazing, actually. Now, Matthew's work, again, was only possible because the Jews kept meticulous records of the genealogies. We find them in particular in the historic record of First Chronicles. Okay? In, in the interest of time this morning, we're not going to go there. But if you did, in chapters 3 and chapter 4, you would see exactly the same information that Matthew gives here. So we know that he went back to those records. They're a matter of history. So that's the first way in which the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke make the birth of Jesus Christ a matter of human history. The second one is that the Gospel accounts themselves, in other words, how, how Matthew and Luke, particularly Luke, narrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Embedded in that very story are historic particulars. So again, what this is telling us, if we step back for a minute, you know, a lot of people want to say, well, is there any proof in the in the ancient history books about Jesus existing? Well, there are a couple of references. But what we have is far better than that. 
What we have is people whose job it was to document the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they're able historians in their own right. Abraham, I mean, Abraham, Matthew of Abraham on the brain, Matthew and Luke in particular, but also Mark. But then we understand that we can use their writings, which are fantastic. God, the Holy Spirit inspired, okay, totally accurate record of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And then we can tie that into the historical record of the secular historians. So basically, it's a two-step process. We know that, okay, we see the records, and we'll see some of the names in a minute. And we know that what, what Luke wrote was consistent with that. And then we have Luke telling us about Christ. So in that way, we have we have great backing for the fact that Christ really existed. In particular, he, he was born exactly when um, he was in human history. So that the gospel accounts of the birth of Jesus Christ also provided specific historic information. This is confirmed by the writings of secular historians. We can look at something that Luke said about usually about something having to do with the Roman Empire and its history. Okay, And then we can check the secular historians who wrote about the same things and we see that they line up which is pretty cool. Now, here are some of the names, all right? I'm giving you a lot of information that we don't have time to go through in detail, but you can go look yourself if you're curious on seeing more. There's a guy by the name of Plutarch, not Pluto, although his name was derived from Pluto, interestingly enough. Um, Plutarch, he was a Greek by, by, by nationality, a Roman by citizenship, and you see he lived from AD 46 to 127. That's pretty much around the same time when the, um, the the texts of the New Testament were written, around the same time. Pretty much a contemporary of, of Luke and John and so forth. Then we have someone by the name of Suetonius. He was a Roman historian, lived a little later, A.D. 71 to 135. He wrote books on the history of the, of the Caesars. So Tacitus did the same thing. He wrote about 12 biographies. Of the Caesar. In other words, more capital historians writing about their subject matter, which was the history of the Roman Empire. And then finally, a, a person by the name of Josephus. He's very interesting because he was a became a Roman citizen. He was also Jewish. And so he gave history from those two points of view. Again, very valuable because, again, we can also line up what Josephus said against the histories that we talked about the Roman Empire and then forward to what's in the Gospels. So we have a lot of information outside of the gospel writers that can confirm. So let's see a few of the references now that Luke gave in his gospel that are are historic references. Let's go back to where we just were in the gospel of Luke chapter 1 verse 5. You've already seen this. I made quick reference to it, but let's go again to see that. I want you to see the information that was given here that's historic and can be verified by other historians that wrote about the same periods of time. Okay, Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias, Zacharias, of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. See, what we have here is that Luke right here tells us who was king of Judea at the time that Jesus was born. The king of Judea. Judea was a place, it was a province in the Roman Empire. There was a king that was established by the Romans, and his name was Herod the Great. All of that can be documented in human history. 
Now, here's where it gets really interesting, by the way. We'll pick this up again at the end. We know that Herod, on the secular record now, died in the spring of 4 B.C. The spring of 4 B.C. The reason that's interesting is because we have the death of Herod recorded as well in the Gospels. And it's not too many, not too long after the birth of Jesus Christ, actually, because because Jesus, um, when Jesus was born, an angel came to his, his stepfather, Joseph, and said, you got to get out of here for a little while because Herod is going to kill all the babies under two years old. So Matthew, so uh, Joseph went to Egypt and then the angel comes back and he says, Herod's dead. You can come back. So what do we know? We know that Jesus was born. He couldn't have been born any later than the spring of 4 B.C. And there's other information that makes it possible, actually, to determine the time of the birth of Christ to within a few months, a few months. Amazing. All right, let's go to chapter 2. Turn to chapter 2. We're in chapter 1, so let's go to chapter 2 of the Gospel of Luke. More great historical references surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ by a very careful historian by the name of Luke. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Now, in those days, what days? The days of the birth of Jesus Christ. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Cornelius was governor of Syria. See, if somebody wanted to disguise a myth, and try to make references to a myth, they would not be too specific about the details of history. Because why? Because it could be checked out and said, no, this is a fraud. And so, so Luke had perfect confidence that what he was writing was history, and so much so that he gave us information that could be verified. Again, now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth, This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. That's why they were in Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them at the inn. Story of the birth of Jesus Christ. She's a virgin. She's giving birth. It's miraculous. It's shrouded in mystery. And yet we have great references of history. Why? Well, for one thing, we know who the emperor of Rome was at the time. We can check out the records. We can find out when he was emperor. And we can see that, again, we can see that it's all consistent with other historic information about when Jesus was born. We also know the year that Jesus was born. It was born in the year that Augustus decreed that a census be taken of the known world. We know the name of the governor of Syria back then, Quinarius. I mean, it's kind of the equivalent today of, of knowing who's the president and knowing who's the governor of Florida. See, when you put those two together, you can really target, well, when did this happen, right? Within within a few years, anyway. Again, this can all be confirmed by independent sources like the ones I mentioned a few minutes ago. We also know that each citizen had to go back to his ancestral home to be counted. 
And that was consistent with the way that they did censuses in, in this area of the Roman Empire back then. So Joseph, stepfather of Jesus, well, he was of the house and lineage of David. And so he had to go to Bethlehem. There he is. The third category of historic record now, the third category. First one, genealogy of Jesus Christ. Second one, the, the record of his birth, the narrative of his birth. Third one, of the this is history now, is the fulfillment of prophecy. The fulfillment of prophecy. For that, we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about the prophet Isaiah. The prophet that those of you that have been part of our Bible study know a lot about. Okay. The prophet Isaiah lived about 700 years before the birth of Christ. About 700 years before the birth of Christ. You know, of all the prophets, we have the most knowledge about him in terms of history. Because, again, he, he shows up in First Kings, which is a careful historic record of the lives of the kings of Judah and Israel. So we know about the, you know about the kings, as it were, the emperors of Roman Empire, through so the secular writers. We know about the kings in Israel and Judea from the writers of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. So we can corroborate the information and say Isaiah lived here. Yeah, that matches up with Second Kings. Another reliable and detailed record of the history of the kings of Judah and Israel. And the prophet Isaiah made predictions which were fulfilled when Jesus was born. I get the picture. History. Isaiah lived. We know when he lived. He made prophecies about the Messiah. Okay, in terms of this will happen in human history. We have Jesus Christ born. His birth's well documented. And it lines up with and fulfills prophecies written 700 years ago. You see, when somebody makes a prediction and then it happens 700 years later, that's another miracle. That's a miraculous thing. We know God's hand is in it. But we can also say, yeah, and this also lines up with human history at the same time. It's all a package. There's history and there's mystery. For example, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, he writes this. Behold, a virgin will be with child and will bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Now, this blew the minds of the people that heard this from the mouth of Isaiah. I mean, how can this possibly be? How can a virgin give birth to a child? See, if somebody, you know, if, if I were trying to write a prophecy, you know, well, let's hope I never do. But, and I wanted people to kind of buy it. Well, I do. I would make it really unclear, like Nostradamus or who, who's there was another prophetess like who lived a few. I don't know. Right? I would make it like there will be a man, a great man, and he will come and there will be people who will respond to him in an unprecedented way. And then I could say, see, there, there's a president. And that's what I was talking about, you know. But I don't think I would come up with a prophecy that said, you know, what's going to happen. A virgin is going to be with child. What are the odds, right? Unless it's inspired by the Lord and happened. And, and it will bear a son. And not only that, but she'll call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Can you see how bold the prediction that is? How unlikely that would be to happen? And yet it happened. It was fulfilled. It was fulfilled when Jesus was born. And we see that in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. By the way, this is something that an angel said. 
He said it to Joseph. Okay. He said it, by the way, to, to kind of calm him down because he had just found out that the woman that he's betrothed to is pregnant. No shock. Imagine waking up one morning. Now, today is probably a big deal. But, but back then it was it was a big deal. You know, today it would be, too, if you knew you weren't the father. I suppose that would be a shock anyway. She will bear son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. He just read it, 714. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. A prophet in history prophesied something that would happen in the future. It took 700 years, but then it happened, and, and scripture was fulfilled. And this person, Jesus Christ, his birth is a matter of history, too. And not just Isaiah. There was also a prophet by the name of Micah. And he made a great prophecy as well. If you could turn to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And, and Micah lived about the same time as Isaiah. And it's interesting because he also was a prophet to Judah. Now, those of you that have been in Bible study on Thursday are probably tired of me saying this. You know, uh, after Solomon, right, Israel broke in two. There was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, northern kingdom of Israel, southern kingdom of Judea. These guys were more wicked. Their leaders were, the, were more wicked. So they went out earlier. Assyria came in and wiped them out around 723 and then Judas lasted 150 years more. Well, well, both Isaiah and Micah were prophets at around the same time to that southern kingdom. But what's interesting about it is Isaiah's job was to go to the leadership. He had access to the court in Jerusalem. So he was a prophet to the leaders of, of Judea, whereas Micah was a prophet for the common man. And it's just wonderful how you see that working out. But anyway, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But as for you, Bethlehem... Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me, the Lord, to be ruler in Israel. And his goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. It's quite a prophecy in its own right, isn't it? We know here's exactly where the Messiah is going to be born. This one will one day be the ruler in Israel. And he's been around since eternity. Again, I mean, you look at that in the Old Testament and you hear that and, and it's it's mind blowing because you say, wait a minute, only Yahweh has been around since eternity. What is this Micah telling us? Well, he's either a fraud or he's telling us that Messiah is also going to be God. So there's, you know, don't buy the thing that, well, the Jews weren't expecting a Messiah who was the, the son of God. Well, they should have been. If they knew what Isaiah and Micah prophesied about the Messiah, they would have known. In any event, this prophecy also came true, also when Jesus Christ was born. Please go to Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. <clears throat> now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, 
saying something else mysterious and wonderful. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For that we saw his star in the east. We were in the east and we saw his star and we have come all this way to worship him. To worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. They didn't want the king to show up, the real king. Herod was, was, a, was a fraud in the sense that he wasn't Jewish, and yet he was the king of Judea. Now he hears, wait a minute. These guys from the east, they seem wise. They come a long way. They're here to worship a baby. Why would they do that? Unless they realized that the king of the Jews was also God. I mean, it's amazing to think about this. But but people that weren't Jewish from hundreds and thousands of miles away knew who this baby was. And and by the way, so too did the people in Jerusalem, the leadership class. But they were afraid and troubled. Why? Because they wanted to hold on to their power. It was more important to them at this point in time for them to have, keep in, into power than it was to welcome the king, the real one, God's son. It tells you something about, you know, the perversity of power, by the way. It's not our subject, but it's something to think about. Um, so when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. He knew that this was the Messiah. But whereas the, the Magi came to worship them, Herod came to kill him. They said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem of the land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. So it's interesting. Here we have again the, the mixing together of the history and the mystery. We have the history. We know that at that point in time, there was a census. And, it, and, and the, the census said that everyone had to go to their ancestral home. Well, that brought Joseph to Bethlehem. But, but a prophet that lived 700 years earlier also said that it would happen in Bethlehem. And it would happen in a miraculous way. And so we have the, the coming together of the, of the history and the mystery in the birth of Jesus Christ. Let's stop for a minute, though. Let's do another thought exercise now. We're going to see this. I want you to think about now all the history that we've seen this morning. I want you to think about the fact that at the genealogy going back 42, 64 generations. I want you to know we, that we know a lot of specifics about his birth. Who was, who was Caesar at the time? Who was the governor of Quirinius? Why they came to Bethlehem and so forth. We, we know that about when it happened because of, of the death of Herod, which was soon to happen. We know that prophecy was fulfilled. We know that things that had been was said about this baby one day happened. And that's a matter of history as well, both the birth and the prophecy ahead of time. So I want you to compare that in the thought experiment for a minute. I want you to think about other famous people in history. Pick whoever you want. Uh, to, be, to make this a real thought exercise, you want to go back a ways, but you don't have to, actually. I want you to think about, is there anybody else in human history that has a genealogy as detailed and as lengthy as the genealogy of Jesus Christ? Anybody? Caesar? John F. Kennedy? We don't know. We can't go back 
42 generations and know all of that. So right there, there's more historical information about Jesus Christ than any other figure in history. We also know a lot of details. You know, we have a wealth of information about how he was born, where he was born, why he was born. We have information about prophecy being fulfilled. This is unique. It's a well-documented historic fact, perhaps, again, better documented than any other birth in human history. Not only that, here we are, and today we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ when? When? Huh? Yeah, which, what, what date? Everybody knows that, December 25th, right? I wonder why. Why would it be December 25th? Yeah, it was a Roman well, there's a lot of theories like that, sure. Um, yeah, a lot of people want to tie it to the Roman Empire or the Catholic Church or or the fact that, gee, you know, it couldn't have been in wintertime because the shepherds were out. By the way, the shep- they say the wintertime thing and the, and the shepherds not being out. It was talking about on, in the wilderness, in the hills, in the mountains. They had come back, but they came to the cities and the towns. And if it was a mild night, you got to believe they weren't going to keep those shepherds in a pen. They were going to take them out. So you can't. That's no reason for it not to be a wintertime, by the way. Well, as a matter of fact, we can narrow down the date of the birth of Jesus Christ to sometime between late in 5 B.C. and early in 4 B.C. Probably sometime either in December of 5 B.C., or January of 4 B.C., within two months. Now, it's interesting if you think about that, because it's December, it's December 25th. Where is that? Middle of the- it's about the middle, isn't it? Very interesting. Well, now here's the thing. We, we can't I guess what I'm saying is, is he could very well have been born on December 25th. Now, we have we can't verify it, but it's not an outrageous guess. It's pretty good. Okay, but the birth of Jesus is not simply a matter of history. Even more important than that, it is a matter of great mystery. His birth is a wonder. His birth is a treasure. It's full of the glory of God and angels and virgin births. We have angels announcing the coming of the Christ child. Angels. It's a matter of wonder and mystery. We have a virgin by the name of Mary who's with child. Great mystery. The Holy Spirit come came upon her. The power of the Most High overshadowed her. And for that reason, this holy child would be called the Son of the Most High, the Son of God. It's not just a matter of history. It's also a great mystery and a wonder and a treasure full of the glory of God. This child was the savior of the world. He came to save the people from their sins. And because of that, an angel, two angels, instructed both Mary and her fiancé, Joseph, to name that child Jesus, because he will save the people from their sins. That's why he's called Jesus. He's called Jesus because he's the savior. He's called Emmanuel because he's God with us. He's called the Christ because he's the Messiah. And he's called the Lord because he is the Lord, Yahweh. And this child would reign, told by the angels that this child would reign over the house of Jacob forever. 
That's a statement full of wonder and mystery. His kingdom will have no end. Here's a king that's born. We have kings throughout human history. And all their kingships ended with their death. Whether, whether it's a Caesar, or King David, or King Louis XVI in France, you name it. Queen Elizabeth, their reigns ended. Well, this king will have a reign that will never end. Full of mystery and wonder. So let's end where we started this morning. Let's end with a wonderful story, miraculous story in the Gospel of Luke. And let's pick up where we left off. We left off in verse 7. Let's pick up, let's pick things up in verse 8. Now I know many of you have read this passage many times. I know that it's, it's in all the songs that we sing. But I want, you to, to, I want you to think about it as we entered it today, which is a matter of history. And then I want you to think about all the wonder that is surrounding this event. And try to, try to be there yourself as if you were one of the shepherds or as if even if you were Mary or even Joseph. And this is coming upon you at this time. In the same region, there were shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. It was a very menial labor. It was labor that was the lowest people in society would do. It was dark. It was it was cold. They're out there, and they, all they're probably trying to think of is how do we let's get through this so we can get back home into a warm fire. What happens? An angel of the Lord suddenly stood. In other words, out of nowhere, an angel comes. And in, in, the, in the darkest night, a flash of, of light and an angel appears before them. And the glory of the Lord, that's the same glory that was, that was, that was seen by Moses on the mountaintop, that was, that was embedded into the cloud by day and the fire by night. That same glory appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone upon them. And they were terribly frightened, as anyone would be. But the angel spoke and said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God. I mean, think about the greatest choir you've ever seen at Christmas time singing and, and, and multiply that by a thousand and put them all in the sky and realize they've just come from heaven and they're here to declare something to the world through these lowly shepherds. Do not be afraid for behold, I give you greetings of great news to all the people. And then the multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. The glorious event, wondrous event. It had to do with God among the people on earth, God with us. It had to do with the fact that these angels were declaring that there would be peace. This peace would not be the stoppage of wars. It would be reconciliation with God. And, and that would happen with all men with whom he is pleased. Now, who are the men and women with whom God is pleased? 
Right. Those who are with faith, right? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But everybody who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ is at that, because of that, pleasing to God. That's where the peace comes in. That's where the reconciliation with God comes in. That's where the confidence that we know that we'll be with Jesus someday comes in. Verse 15. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, as quickly as they appeared, they were gone in the night sky. And the shepherds began saying to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem then. And let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry. They found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. The birth of Christ is a matter of history, and it's also a matter of mystery. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Now here we are. Once again, it's Christmas time. Once again, we've heard the same wondrous things. And it remains now for us to do the things that the shepherd went and did to declare those things, to tell the people about what they know. It remains for us, too, to glorify and praise God for all that we have heard this morning, just as has been told us. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, at this Christmas time, we we love the fact that you have laid it all out in your word and that we can have tremendous confidence in every aspect of what surrounds the birth of your son, Jesus Christ. We can have confidence that it's a matter of history, but more important, we can have confidence, complete, complete confidence in the fact that Jesus came for us, that he is God among men. He is God with us. He is the God man. And we have complete confidence that he has died for our sins and been raised from the dead and is seated at your right hand in the same heavens where the angels came from. And we know for certainty that whoever believes in your son, Jesus Christ, will never perish but have eternal life, your life. All of this started because there was a baby born in a a manger in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. And again, Father, please have the Holy Spirit inspire us now. The same Holy Spirit that inspired Luke to write what he wrote, that we would would be faithful messengers of this message to all in our lives who need to hear it. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Merry Christmas, everybody.